Christ wants to redeem the world through marriage in a particular way. And that redemption, that grace, that sacrament is the bedrock on which our whole school rests. Yes, yes. And the courage to live that vocation with one another is the bedrock of all of our courage on campus. Welcome to Le Bon V, the JPG podcast where we celebrate the good life and we talk about the good life and hopefully we get the courage to live the good life. I'm Kyle Abarato, joined today with Deacon Adam Conk. Yes, and I am so excited about today's topic because I guess as a man, Talking about being brave and having fortitude and be courageous is is just I love to do that. But um, I'm also excited for our our women listeners as well because uh, bravery is not just for men, but it's one of those virtues that kind of take on a special flavor with the different um, with the different sexes. So like masculinity bravery and femininity or feminine bravery kind of have a special flavor and genius. All their own. So I'm excited to get into a virtue that's like lived out in a particular genius with the with the different sexes. Even though it, it might take some courage today to acknowledge that there are different sexes and And only two. And only two. Yes. Sure. Let's let's just say it right off the bat. <laughs> let's have the courage. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's courage. So um to get us started, Mr. Alvarado, how do we define this this virtue? Even before we get started, I, I just have a few things I want to say about about courage. Let's do um, it. One, well, for us at John Paul the Great Academy, courage is a, is a special call because of Pope St. John Paul the Great. You know, his his call was be not afraid. In other words, have courage, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think Courage. I'm, I'm excited to talk about courage as a, as a John Paul the Great Academy community. But in addition to that, I think courage also is a special virtue with regard to the tension that comes with being a baptized person in the world, because Christ calls us to be in the world, but not of the world. And that it, it's really difficult, right? It, it One of the one of the Catholic sayings that means something to me, and I always have to give a caveat with this, is, um, well, abstinence is easier than temperance. But I'm not talking about abstinence in the way most people think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Um, so like with alcohol, let's say. With alcohol. It's or, e- sometimes it's easier to drink no alcohol than to drink the right amount of alcohol. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's hard to have courage that... I can pursue something without excess. And and that might get into temperance a little bit, but um, 
when thinking about this idea that abstinence is easier than temperance, that has a lot to do with how we live out our baptism. Because it seems easier. Just reject the world. Reject everything about the world. And live only for God. But guess what? That's impossible. Because to live only for God means to love him above all things and to love your neighbor as yourself. And so our baptismal call is a very call to live in the world, but not to be of it. And it takes courage to go against the ways of the world, you know, to be countercultural. It, it takes courage. And so I'm excited to talk about courage. One, again, because of how important that is in the message of Pope St. John Paul the Great, but also as baptized Christians trying to live out our faith boldly, well, it's a call to be in the world and of the world. And to manage that tension, the tension of faith, requires courage. Yeah, because courage is this tendency within us to face the difficulty, the challenge, the evil in front of us for the greater good that is owed. So we talked about justice last time, right? Right. So sometimes when there's something owed to someone else or to a group of people, the attainment of that justice will require difficulty, sacrifice, um, confrontation. It requires it. And the tendency to step in there, not because I'm a jerk and I like these things, I like difficulty, or not because I, you know, I have a self-deprecating um, mentality, but for justice, yeah. for the sake that this person will get what is owed to them, I am willing to sacrifice, to take on the difficulty so that justice may happen. To pursue the good mm -hmm. um, free from fear. And I think that's a that's a good place to go to kind of define what we mean by courage and what I meant by free from fear. In no way does freedom from fear mean the absence of fear, because a rightly ordered person better have fear, mm -hmm. better be able to have a integrated response to danger. And fear is an important part of that. Now. A lot of us can be paralyzed by fear, can have a disordered sense of fear. And while the most prudent way to order one's fear is to recognize that you need one thing. There's only one thing you need. You don't need anything else in the strict sense of need for it to be necessary. And so we can have a, we can have a healthy fear that guess what? Um, giving tithing to the church uh, is going to mean we can't have the vacation we want. Mm -hmm. Tithing to the church is going to mean um, you know, we can't buy the car we want or that we can't have these other goods. And there should be a sense of fear about that because that fear is a response to our obligation to provide for our families. And so by living out obligation and justice will come this ordered fear. But here's the thing about courage. It's not that that fear is abolished from you or that you have no fear. It's rather that the good becomes more moving to you than your fear. So virtue, the virtue of courage is the virtue opposed to disordered fear. And 
this manifests itself within our, our male genius and feminine genius a little bit different because our fears tend to be different. And so that's why our courage will look different. And, you know, in our spousal relationships with one another, but also in our working relationships at the school and with the students' relationship between male and female students, this is important to keep in mind because, we, you know, peer-to-peer relationships, encouragement is the bread and butter of it. Mm-hmm. Right. So we talked last time about justice and about the fourth commandment, you know, authority to those under their authority. The bread and butter is obedience. You know, that's the special sauce that makes it work. Right. Peer to peer encouragement to to literally put courage in someone is the special sauce of a good peer to peer relationship. So it's not that I'm going to try to have authority over you or be under you, but I'm going to encourage you to live the life that you're being called to live when it's difficult. When I see your difficulties, I'm going to give you courage by saying you can do this. You you have what it takes. Like you can live the life you're called to live even when it's difficult. And this looks different uh, with men and women, but we need to be particular encouragers of one another. Girl students, encourage one another not discourage one another to live virtuously, right? Male right. students encouraging one another. Um, it, it, this is very important for true friendships to be courageous friendships. I love that. I love that. Friendship and courage. Because we we can have a fear of of losing a friendship if we do what is good. Or if we if we placate. Mm-hmm. which is a dangerous word or it's a word that refers to something very dangerous when out of fear we treat someone lower than they are that that's to placate right yep so to to treat someone with dignity re- requires courage and part of the definition i want to add for courage you know it's this it, it's this virtue that orders our pursuit of the good regulating our fear Again, it's not the absence of fear, because the absence of fear is actually a vice. It's the vice of recklessness, which is not virtuous. And it, it, it's going to, you know, some, it, it might be easy to think, um, let me think as a parent, that I see a particular issue with one of my kids, and I'm going to be courageous and just call them out on it. And, and you're lazy. You're just lazy. You don't do what you're supposed to do. You're so selfish. That's not courage. That's recklessness. Mm-hmm. That's not being ordered by a healthy fear that I could, by not encouraging my child, um, by being reckless, I could make the good life less accessible to them. Yeah, which is why St. Paul counsels us parents don't discourage your children. This is what he's talking about. This uh, demeaning behavior, this placating behavior can steal courage away from our children. Right. And we see the disorder on this side of, of being reckless and not having a healthy fear that, that we could uh, harden our children's heart to the good life also, on the other side, mm-hmm. if we're going to harden their heart if we placate them as well. We don't want hard hearts. We want, we want soft hearts. Um, yeah, and, and so since fear is involved with courage, uh, we're talking about emotional experience that 
are human, so they're deeper than just emotions. They affect our soul, too, because we're humans, right? And we're right. a unity of body and soul. In terms of the classical uh, paradigm, they're passions. Exactly. Passions in the soul. And because of that, and we're getting into emotions, passions, that body part of us, that experience of us, we do experience fear differently as men and women. And I'm bringing this up because this can help us make sense of our relationships at home. If you have father to daughter, uh, mother to son, spouse to each other, make sense of our relationships on campus mm-hmm. about how we can effectively encourage one another cross cross uh, gender, you know, from male to female, female to male. Um, so men, our main fear comes from a sense of inadequacy in ourselves. That's really what we're afraid of. Right. That, that, that we're not enough to provide for the needs of others. And when the moment comes, we're not going to have what it takes. Right. Or that something's going to make it. And so when things point out that inadequacy to us, we tend to not like that. Right. Like we, we, we're afraid that it might be true that I'm not adequate. Um, women, that it's a little bit different. You know, women fear uh, when there's a lack of security in life, that things are not as secure. And this is mainly an emotional security, relational security, sometimes material security. There's a, when things are as, are stable and secure, there's a sense that things are right. And then fear will come in, in a woman's heart in a particular way. Not that women never feel inadequate or men never feel like there's not enough security, but in general, we interpret that experience as to say things are not right or safe or secure as a woman, right? So, to encourage a man is to appeal to his his adequacy, right? And right. to encourage a woman is to appeal to a sense that things are as they ought to be and everyone is taken care of and that I'm willing to be a part of that system that you need me. Like, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to self-sacrifice so that everyone's needs are met. Because when a woman looks at a man and gets a sense that his love for himself is greater than the needs for the other people in the community, there there's a fear. And so to, to reassert, like, hey, wife or, or daughter or <laughs> student, like, I am willing to do what it takes so that you have what you need and everyone else does. Um, these are ways that we can encourage one another intentionally on campus and in our home. Absolutely. And as we talked about last episode, the, these virtues participate in a hierarchy. And I think one of the things you're, you're pointing out is how part of the prudent way to live the good for the with the other and for the other in justice, that courage, courage is going to be a necessary component of how we prudently act in justice. And a, a large part of this part of that is going to depend on uh, our prudence allowing us to be docile to as Pope St. John Paul, would call it, you know, the feminine genius or, or mm-hmm. the masculine genius and being docile to how those things are received. Yes. And the, the courage, you know, like in John Paul II's theology of the body and his approach to, to persons. And remember, we're always an incarnate person, right? So I am a man. So I'm not just a human who happens to be a man. I am a man. And women are women. They're not just humans who happen to be women. Our human nature is always incarnated in the image of God who made them male and female. And so this nuptial meaning of the body that's so important to John Paul II, this male-female relationship that ought to be one of gift and self-emptying, is the source of, of a lot of our bravery, 
Case in point, our cowardice in the original sin was the breakdown of the bravery that should have been exercised of Adam to defend the garden against the serpent and not even let him in, right? That's a good point. And that he maybe thought he didn't have what it takes to take down the serpent, or I don't know. He said, I'll just let it in. It was the fear that cost him his bravery that cost us. Eve, the sense that things were not provided for well enough without with God, tempted to eat the apple so that things might be provided that weren't provided, right? That mm. fear that I'm things are not well provided for and not secure with God, so I'm going to pursue this other route. And so it was a, a cowardice on both of their parts in a particular male and female way that's redeemed and corrected by Christ who had what it took to go through the passion. Mary didn't, re- the new Eve didn't go through the passion. She went through compassion. It was Adam who had to prove that he had what it takes, right? Like it was the bravery of having what it takes to, to rise up to the challenge. And it was Eve who trusted that even in the suffering of, and death of her son and of God, everything is provided for that I find security mm. in the sacrifice of the cross so much so that I will it to happen too. Man, yeah, that great mystery of Our Lady's heart. And a brave heart. A brave heart. <laughs> um, it's Mel- not just Mel Gibson. It's Our Lady too. <laughs> yes. Um, well, this, I'm loving this. Uh, so this is Le Bon Vie, and we're talking about we're talking about courage. And... There's so many, there's so many things to say about courage. Yes. But one of the things I definitely want to talk about is having the courage in our school community to live out the classical tradition. Yes. It requires a lot of courage because for many parents who have potentially ordered fear about their child's future look around and see education very different from the way we desire to pursue it. And it'll be very different from the way they pursued it. And I encounter that so often, this difficulty to have courage and to trust in classical wisdom. Well, and since courage is based, is a response to fear, parents will differ into why they're afraid of classical education or the risk of classical education, right? So for, right. A, for a man, is this enough? Is this adequate? Right. Is this adequate for my children and their future? And then for women, it's like, is there a security in this? Is this a secure thing? This seems kind of like a new crazy idea and it may not, everybody might not get what they need, you know, if we, if we do this. Um, and those that take the risk, men and women, couples who decide to come to the school, find that there, there definitely is an experience of my child is more adequate to the task of human relationships, of knowing truth in their faith. This may not be everybody's exact experience, but this is what I hear from families. You know, like my child seems more adequate as a human being to live their faith and to be in relationship with their family than I expected. Like this school seems I've given my child a sense of adequacy up to the task they are an adequate person and then for for that motherly experience the deep friendships and relationships particularly with the faculty right i hear a lot of moms talk about that the thing they're most grateful for is that these faculty such as yourself are in their kids lives and they find security in that relationship that their kid is all right because somebody loves them well 
Here's the thing from my end, though, as a teacher. I have the courage, or I find the courage, in part, to um, take that leap of faith, take that risk to invite students into something deeper and, mm -hmm. and to relate to students, to be in relationship with them in a deeper way. Part of my courage to do that is the classical tradition. Mm -hmm. Is this, well, for the Greeks, the love between a parent and a child or a teacher and a student is storge. And storge is a love that is restless until it can rest in the formation of the other. And in many ways, that really gives me courage to be restless until I can form the other, offer formation for the other. And when you combine that classical wisdom with the gospel, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And so for me, the courage to, to educate in a way that's docile to the needs of the student I find that courage in both the classical tradition as well as the gospel. And I don't see them opposed to one another, but rather harmonizing together. Well, and for most families at our school, the vast majority, we come to the school because of its its value in our faith and then come to understand why the classical tradition in, communicates that faith effectively and mm -hmm. most effectively. And so the decision, the risk, the courage is as much as choosing one pedagogy over another, it's really not that. It's it's a choice for the truth for my family and my life as opposed to the lies of the world, which is for a lot of parents their experience. There's lots of ideas of how to educate out there. There's lots of ideas of what the human person is. And we've come to understand that they're all wrong. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're just wrong. I mean, humans are not automatons that just accept information and fulfill a job. Humans are not... You know, everything the world says they are. And that education is not these things, that it's not job training. It's not, life is bigger than this. And when we come to that realization, we then turn, well, Lord, where do we go? What do we do? And JPG is a place where people have found, you know, the classical tradition is able to articulate and express the gospel in a lived reality in a very unique way. There's a reason why the church adopted it, you know, yeah. baptized the liberal arts tradition. And it didn't take long for the modern educational experiment to reveal itself as inadequate. Whenever the liberal arts as the foundation for education were, were really just swept away, well, what happened 20 or 30 years later? They had to replace the entire educational approach. Mm -hmm. 20, 30 years later, another replacement. And that was down to like five years. Yeah. Yeah. Every five years or so, you have to replace the foundation. Why? Because the modern approach to education is not courageous. It is rooted in the fear that we need to manipulate children to be productive members um, of society. Well, now today, I mean, y'all, the motivation of education has become to establish political dominance. Yeah, that's a harsh... That, that is not even a question anymore. I mean, if you look at the th educational theories, quote-unquote, that are quickly being adopted without a lot of research, without a lot of thought, they are geared toward accomplishing the political ends of certain people and parties, not to the education of the children primarily. 
as far as how it's going to be presented, what's going to be presented. And we see this and we say, we don't want this for ourselves. There's only one tradition that is not susceptible to being manipulated. And it's the classical intellectual tradition because it's not pointing towards any political end, but pointing towards the truth itself. And that even our politics ought to be oriented to that truth. It points everything to truth. And that's what makes the classical tradition suited for our Catholic faith and handing it on, but also makes it not susceptible to the winds of this world and the trends of education that we find ourselves in today. Yeah. Yeah. That those are great points. But the reality is that classical education is more honest about the risk of mm-hmm. education that, you know, in a, the, the modern, the modern paradigm of education is largely ro- rooted in, um, operating conditioning, this, this phenomenon in psychology of shaping behavior and, and being able to do that with tokens of, of rewards and punishment, man, I could, we could do five episodes on just that, but token episodes, token episodes. Here's the problem with that is whenever you use operant conditioning, um, you get quick results. Operant conditioning works extremely well with animals. And you know what? If you demand immediate results of behavior, it works well with humans too. Mm-hmm. However, the second you remove the token, the reward, the punishment, the behavior fades. And here's why. Education is more than just shaping behavior. It's cultivating freedom, which may not get quick results, which may be messy along the way. As we talked about in our episode on freedom, to cultivate freedom is to invite chaos, the chaos of sin. Mm -hmm. Because if we do not leave room for the exercise of freedom in the will, we're just training animals. And that training doesn't last. And so one of the things I would invite parents to have courage with is that you may see in in behavioral oriented education where manipulation is the means of education, so to speak, they will get quick results. You will see students quickly perform well on certain things. However, it doesn't last. And so to have the courage that we're doing a process that is slow that's holistic and that's great. And the image I like to give is if you demand fruit out of a plant really quickly, its roots aren't going to be equipped enough to withstand, you know, drought or bad weather. And so the problem is that when you give a plant time to be well rooted before it bears fruit, it's going to take a long time before you see visible evidence of that. And that's where courage comes in. When I encourage in that context, I guess at this point to introduce an idea um, of not stifling the courage of others. So this idea of discouragement, this is something we owe injustice, right? That I I owe to people that I'm not going to make it harder for them to be virtuous. I owe it to that, right? Yeah. So to, to take away people's courage is an injustice. And we do it often with each other. And so let's, let's take that student example for a second. If, if my student comes to me discouraged, I owe it to him to encourage. I owe it to her to encourage her, right? Um, but there are certain 
things that we do as a family that make the task of learning more difficult. Mm. You could you could call it the other side of discouragement. So we know discouragement in the sense of, you know, you can't do it, kid. Obviously, that's discouraging. Right. But if I actively make it harder for that kid to do it, I might not be saying you can't do it, kid, but I'm making it harder for that person to be courageous because people only have a certain level of virtue in their life and we can't expect the inhuman. So if I design a home mm. where it is very difficult for classical education to work well, you know, if, if, if I have a loud, distracting, noisy home with no leisure or whatever else like we talked about in a previous episode, I am making it harder for that person to be a courageous person, to actually live out this virtue of courage in their life. I'm discouraging them. Yeah. The, well, fear, here's the thing about fear, psychologically speaking. Um, fear concentrates perception. And that might sound good, but it's not. Because mm -hmm. when you concentrate perception, you narrow it. Mm -hmm. And let's face it, if there's danger, real danger, you need to attenuate. You know, you need to, to concentrate your powers to address it. But whenever we're fighting ghosts, and what I mean by that is whenever we're haunted by a fear that's not grounded in reality, our perception will concentrate. Namely, it'll diminish and will be inattentive to many things. And what I think you're, one of the things you're touching on is whenever fear that my child won't be successful motivates me to be disordered and to put second things first and first things second. What do I mean? That assessment in classical education is to communicate to a student what they have mastered, what they have not yet mastered, and the shortest route between the two. And I invite anyone to talk to me about this if you see me in person, but let's be honest. Grading, what we're all familiar with, the use of grades, A, B, C, D, F, mm -hmm. uh, 90, 80, 70, whatever, that is not part of the classical tradition. Mm -hmm. It is not. In fact, it is, it, is, it is opposed to the essence of liberal learning, of, of the liberal arts, which assessment in the liberal arts is focused to equip students to be self-assessors, that they have the tools to assess themselves instead of becoming dependent on an external token for reward and punishment. Like well, a grade. And if you've ever been a teacher, you know there are a few things more discouraging than grades to a student. Yes. To discourage them. In terms of anxiety mm -hmm. and also in terms of a fatalism. But a mastery-based kind of assessment, which is the classical tradition, to communicate based on mastery and always being docile. What has the student mastered? Encourage them. Mm-hmm what they haven't yet mastered and the shortest route that, Hey, guess what? What your, your success, what you have mastered is directly connected to what you haven't yet mastered. Let me help you get there. Let me tutor you into it. But, but here's the thing as parents, this fear of my child's not going to be successful instead of encouraging mastery. When I take the time to communicate them, with them, um, 
what ought to happen is, okay, so what are the learning objectives in the class right now? What, what are you working on? What are you trying to master? Where's your progress? Where haven't you mastered yet? I mean, parents should be having the same conversation. And guess what? That conversation is encouraging. Yeah. Even if you want the grade, even if, if a high grade, high achievement is what you desire, the most prudent way to do that is to have conversations where you put first things first. The grade is secondary because the grade comes from mastery. And everyone, part of the community, probably understands by now if you've been around, but you should know that at JPG, we we use grades because it is it's where we are. It's where we are, and it, it it's a benefit in, in certain ways. But teachers are not grade fixated. And the the teachers teaching your kids, especially in the upper school, like we see the difference between teaching for a grade and teaching a child and forming a child. And so this is a beautiful thing that you may not even realize is happening that is part of what makes JPG very unique. And this conversation about the use of grades is an ongoing conversation the community is having get into it. Like, let's talk, talk to a teacher, get their yeah. ideas about it. You may and be surprised what you hear. I, I would hope so. I would hope so. I don't want to dedicate too much time, <laughs> uh, but, but this is one of the areas. Well, at home, at home speaking wise, like the difference between a conversation of what did you make on that paper or what was your grade versus what you just described? What right. mastery was you, were you seeking in this assignment? Do you think you got it? Both of those conversations can accomplish the same end of making sure your child is on task and having a good experience. I would argue one of those doesn't accomplish the task, but reinforces your feelings of accomplishment. Yeah, and that discourages. It discourages. And so, so the grades are there, but we don't even have to talk about them is, what, is, is the point we're making. If we're going to use them, okay, but we don't have to discuss the grades. Let's talk about the child. Let's talk about the child. Let's have the courage to have meaningful conversations, to have meaningful accountability with mm -hmm. our children, you know, um, because guess what? This might be hard for some people to hear and I might offend some people, but good, good. Let's be courageous. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be courageous. If you are grade focused in your conversations with your child about their performance at school, you are unjust. That is unjust. And I can talk about a lot of reasons why, um, but I'll just drop a few things. for If <laughs> anyone wants to talk to me about this outside, I, I would love to have this conversation because, you know, grades is it, it's a, something close to my heart. Yeah. Um, because of how counter-cultural it is in a bad way. Yeah. Um, the use of grades in a, in a Catholic school, in a classic Catholic school is, is kind of like, well, it's kind of like teaching critical race theory in a Catholic school. Well, how about, how about this analogy that grades are kind of like technology and learning the way we approach it at JPG, that sometimes it's going to be useful, like to have a computer and type something. But beyond that, we don't want to use it. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's going to get in the way of education, technology. Right. And in the same way, sometimes grades get in the way of education. Now, the conversation continue about like, is that intrinsically true? Like there's never an occasion where grades will be helpful or not. And that's a great conversation to have. But I think all of us can agree that there is a hindrance to a grade-focused education 
Um, just as if it was a technology-driven education, we're all on computers all day. That's not what we want, right? Right. Um, but but the injustice from a parent perspective, if if your interaction with your child is dominated by talking about grades with them, absolutely. Then here here's the injustice, uh, the root of it. And there there are psychological reasons why it's harmful, as well as cognitive reasons that it's harmful, mm-hmm. emotional reasons it's harmful, but the biggest reason why it's harmful is that you, you the primary educator who owes your child formation of their intellect and will to act in a way that denies the existence of the intellect and the will because grades, guess what? They come from a tradition of rating objects for consumption. Mm -hmm. That's where this comes from. Grade A, beef, things like that. Right. So Mm -hmm. in other words, to... Use grades as the dominant way you engage with your child about education. Here's the injustice. It's D, grading. It objectifies them. Mm. I see what you did there, degrading. Well, and for courage, it can instill fear and promote fear. And it, yeah. So, and again, men and women experience fear a little different. So for the, for the male child, a grade-centered conversation or focus or agenda will make it seem as if they will not have what it takes without the right grades. Here's the problem with grades. They're permanent. A transcript is permanent, right? So if I end high school with not the best grades, I now feel like the rest of my life I don't have what it takes. And there's nothing I could do about it because these grades have been assigned to me. Right. Um, if I show up for you know sophomore year of English and freshman year of English – I didn't have what it takes. Well, I'm showing up without what it takes. So it, it, it instills a fear in that man, or that boy, that they're not going to have what it takes because they've been labeled inadequate. For, for the girls, right, what makes, us, what makes a woman feel secure is the love and the loving relationships around their life, that the right people love enough to provide for everything that needs to be provided for. It can instill a fear with them that they, if they don't have the right grades, they're not going to be loved correctly. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the love that they want, the love that makes everything work. And this is why a lot of women students, girl students are prone to this perfectionism about grades in opposition to learning sometimes, because what offers them that stable love and affection that'll make their life stable? It's the grades, not the learning. That's, that's the mindset. And that makes, and what's frightening about that is that grades need to be kept up. Grades need to be kept up. And when I get a job, I need to be kept up. My performance reviews, my everything, it all needs to be kept up. And so women will, will literally kill themselves trying to accomplish so many things to keep up everyone else's grades on them. Why? Because they haven't been educated. They've been operantly conditioned. Right. Because education will tell you that the father loves you and that is enough. That yes. will provide for all your needs. That is the educated person. Right. Yeah. Like true education, because you're free because classical education is about freedom. You're free to see the reality that that what Jesus says, you know, look at the sparrows, look at the flowers in the field. They don't do anything. And the father takes care of them. How much more will the father provide for you? What a beautiful thing to tell women. Right. Um, God's love is enough to provide. And for men, you you don't have what it takes on your own. But do not be afraid. I will be with you to the end of the time. I will say the words. I will give you the words to speak. I will give you the actions to provide. I am with you 
to accomplish these things that you need to accomplish. Right. And young men, older men, any men, yes, you are called to be courageous. And mm -hmm. one of the saints I have a particular devotion to is St. Jose Maria Escriva. One of the lines that he gives in the way, I just find striking. All our fortitude is on loan. Mm. So that sense of inadequacy, right? Um, yeah. Okay. I'll embrace it. But all my fortitude is not mine. It's, it's on loan. Yes. Well, I love this conversation. I'd like to, I'd like to kind of shift gears a bit just to, um, to kind of approach courage and the idea of being the primary educator. So, so follow me on this. All right. All right. Uh, it might be a stretch, but you know, in a book we gave out at, um, in Communione, our parent formation last year, at, at the end of the year, we gave out uh, the Holy See's teaching on, on Catholic education by Archbishop Miller. Right. And if you didn't get a copy, go visit the office. I think we have extra copies available. Great little book. I mean, so good. And just know that this is this is on the minds and hearts of, of the faculty and the staff at, at JPG. And we take this book seriously, and we, mm -hmm. we want, it, want it to inform our life at the school. Um, but in it, he brings up this... This, I think, important insight into particularly elementary education, we could say high school too. So, you know, the education we offer at JPG is a parental education where, um, you know, like higher education, university, college, it's more like we have an established adult who's going to learn something, who's going to do adult work, right? Right. But the education we offer is, yeah, we want to we want to prepare people for that adult learning for sure. But we're mainly concerned about forming a human person in a way a parent is concerned about forming a human person. And because of that, parents who have the primary role of forming that human person, the school is a participant and cooperator of that. And we mm -hmm. aid and um, supplement parents forming their own kids. All right. So I think we're OK. We're all on there. Right. Well, so the school the foundation of the school is the parental authority to educate. What's the foundation of that family and of that parental authority? It's the marriage between the husband and the wife. It's your relationship. Right on. Marriage yeah. is, the, is the foundation of the family. Then the family becomes the foundation of our school. So this original sin we talked about between man and woman and the devil it's the original sin between man, woman, and the devil that is undone and redeemed by a man, a woman, and an and an angel. Gabriel announces to Mary that she will mm. conceive in her womb. So we have a man, a woman, and, and an angel in the beginning, all disobedient, and then we have a man, a woman, and an angel in Nazareth, all obedient, right? That Christ wants to redeem the world through marriage in a particular way, and that redemption, that grace, that sacrament is the bedrock on which our whole school rests. Yes, yes. And the courage to live that vocation with one another is the bedrock of all of our courage on campus. Mm. So the, the, the thing you just brought up, um, the courage for classical education, we can't take the leap for classical education headfirst if our parents don't want to. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Right. Like we can't, we can't be courageous in a lot of ways unless... Our parents are courageous because the courage of our parents and the basis of that, the courage of the marriages that shape our, that becomes the foundation. That's a very insightful point. And at John Paul the Great Academy, 
um, we're animated by the classical tradition, but we still have a lot of room to grow mm-hmm. as far as living it out. Right. And and I would submit that the ways in which we kind of violate the classical tradition and how we implement it is in order to make it more accessible to parents who aren't completely on board with it yet. And so our ability as a school community to live out this great tradition that's been baptized by the church really hinges upon parents wanting it and demanding it. And so having the courage, um, and yes, you're, you're right. It starts in the vocation of marriage. And even before that courage in our baptism, Mm -hmm. that, that we, we are called to humility. Yes, absolutely. But humility has two forms. One is meekness. Yes. That lowliness where we see ourselves as we are. But humility is also magnanimity. Magnanimity, which is this greatness of call, recognizing greatness of your call, it's part of being humble. Why? Because it's seeing yourself as you are through the eyes of God, in conspectu Dei. Um, and so I would, I would offer, have the courage to be a saint right now, mm-hmm. right now. You've already committed to it in your baptism. And those of us who are married, there's a particular baptismal flowering that happens with marriage. In that, to be a courageous spouse, I have to trust that God is my father and provider. Mm -hmm. So, like, let's let's say for the woman, right? Like, God is the one who loves me enough to provide for all my needs. And he's loving me through my husband. And I'm securing God's love, not my husband's love. This is courageous baptismal life. In your marriage. And this is But it could feel degrading, right? It could feel like, oh, I'm not valuing my husband's love enough. No, no. Yeah. You know, pray for the Holy Spirit's gift of knowledge. Again, by that gift, we see things in their worth, which is in their relation to God. Well, and on the other end, the husband has to believe that God God is adequate. God is in my relationship. He's in my marriage, and he is adequate. I'm not afraid of my own inadequacies when I know that God is adequate. And he's mm. going to provide for my wife. He's going to provide for my kids. He's going to face the evils and the demons that are in my world and in my life and, and the things I need to get done. He is going to give me the strength to do that in my marriage first. So these the difficulty of marriage that's going to take, God has provided that grace to get it done, mm-hmm. not my wife. So my yeah. wife is not going to affirm my, ad- my ability enough to make me feel adequate. Even the best wife, is, is, there's not enough there because I know that my only real sense of adequacy is the Father's love for me. And so the first courageous act of that couple is to live this baptismal call in their marriage such that I'm going to trust God to provide and I'm going to trust God to give me everything it takes in my marriage. That lack of trust will, will, will show itself when as a woman, I feel like when my husband doesn't do such and such or isn't self-sacrificial enough, I feel like I, I can't be at peace and things need to, I need to control that. Right. I need to, right. I need to adapt and control and account for it instead of entrust it to God. Right. Well, and, and again, yeah, disordered fear, right? Yep. Um, and, and a disordered sense of peace as well, but yeah, disordered fear. And so again, if, if you feel, or not again, I would say I invite anyone listening, if if you feel that you are powerless over your anxiety and frustration 
with regard to other people. I would invite you to make a serious resolution to pursue courage. And part of that courage, mm-hmm. Deacon, as, as, as you pointed out very well, that, that courage comes from the peace and security we have in God. And knowing that we're loved by God, right? Right. And, and disordered fear yeah. is going to make us look for that in other places where it's not. Exactly. And so this this courage is the foundation of our school. And that's the stretch that I'm proposing today, <laughs> is that the courage of the husband and the wife... Now, look, we have great families. There's all kind of families at our, our school, and they're, they're uh, great kids who come from great homes where maybe it's not husband and wife, both parents of that child. Like, there's all kind of circumstances, right? Right. But our culture is built on the norm of, of mom and dad and kid. And it becomes a foundation culturally for us that if we're going to be a brave school, it starts with this bravery in our marriages to live a Christian marriage with bravery and courage and to take our fears that we experience and bring them to God and to confront them in a, in charity. And so I want to just encourage our couples to take that uh, seriously. And, and I know you do. Um, but as we offer things for your marriage on campus, as we offer things like men of JPG, women of JPG, why would we separate the sexes like that? Well, hopefully it's to encourage them to live their vocation in marriage better, right? To encourage them prudently. Prudently. And justly. And justly. Um, because it was a lack of courage between a married couple that brought sin. Mm. It was the courage of a man and a woman to redeem us. And it's the courage of you and your spouse to live the life God's calling you to live individually and as a couple. That is the foundation of our school. So go get him. Go get him. Be not afraid. (laughs) Take courage. And you brought up a good point, though, that um, any any family where um, there's one parent for, Mm -hmm. for any reason can feel a sense of mourning or or a sense of inadequacy discouragement discouragement mm-hmm. right right and um again as we started real courage is not the absence of fear it's the freedom from fear and so if if you're a single parent for any reason what whatever you find your or for whatever reason you find yourself in that your fear that you're not enough is human. Mm-hmm. It's ordered. And in some cases, it could even be good. Even though you don't have the natural means to fully provide for your, your family, have the courage that you do have the supernatural means to love your children with the love of God the Father. And the greater the fear, the greater the courage. And God will supply. And so... You know, those folks, single parents, why do we, I mean, there are certain heroes our society seem to always acknowledge, you know, like coaches. Well, maybe not all the time, but <laughs> um, there's certain like pillars of a community, but single parents is one of those that like none of us can deny takes courage. And it's because yeah. it really does take courage. And, and from a Christian vocation standpoint, it's almost a charism of that vocation to be a single parent is courage. It's a unique need, but also 
genius and witness to the world that a person is courageous enough to be a single parent. And so I want to thank all of you who are for that courageous witness and know that, you know, the school is part of that process with you. Like we want to help parent your kids and these, these great teachers that I'm sure you've come to appreciate are in your kid's life so that you don't have to go it alone. And there are issues that we can help with beyond math and science. Yeah. Um, And we want to, right? Well, and very personal for me, um, not, not because I'm a single parent. I'm not, I love my (laughs) wife. Um, I love the gift of my wife, but those of you who know me well know that I, I live with great disability. Um, I have a condition that, well, has rendered me in chronic pain and dis- disabled in many ways. And the most difficult area of courage for me is asking for help. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very masculine, right? It's very masculine. To admit I don't have what it takes to do something. But a disordered sense of justice that is focused on myself um, makes me think that I'm being an undue burden on others when I ask for the help that I genuinely need, as opposed to the view of justice we talked about before, Mm -hmm. uh, justice as this foundation of right relationship that when I lack the courage to ask for help when I, when I need it, because God has permitted me to be disabled. Mm -hmm. God has permitted me to live with great burden. It might also be part of his will maybe not as just as permissive, but even as active will that in my need, I have the courage to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is the most just thing to do. And so I, w- I would, I would flip that onto, onto parents, single parents. I, I don't know what it's like to be a single parent. Um, it, yes, it requires great courage, but, but I would also offer you and invite you into the perspective that um, one you and your family is not a burden. Right. And and in fact, um, if you find yourself in need, unable to do something, it may be that God is inviting you to be a blessing for someone else and asking for help with courage. Yeah. Well, I so love that. I, I know we've um, gone long on this one as well. Mm-hmm. And usually we, we, we give a quote from Pope St. John well, we're Paul. We're brave enough to go long on it. So We're brave enough to go long. Okay. <laughs> I think this time we should, we should end. We should end with a quote from Pope St. John Paul the Great. That sounds courageous. So this is from his encyclical letter, Veritati Splendor. Pope St. John Paul the Great writes, There is nonetheless a consistent witness which all Christians must daily be ready to make, even at the cost of suffering and grave sacrifice. Indeed, faced with the many difficulties which fidelity to the moral order can demand, even in the most ordinary circumstances, the Christian is called, with the grace of God invoked in prayer, to a sometimes heroic commitment In this, he or she is sustained by the virtue of fortitude, whereby, as Gregory the Great teaches, one can actually love the difficulties of this world for the sake of eternal rewards. Love it. Well, Mr. Abrado, thank you so much again for this conversation, and thanks for listening to Le Bon V. In our next episode, we're going to discuss the final 
moral virtue that we will discuss, which is temperance or moderation. And so uh, look, spread the word. This is a great podcast for us all to grow in, in the good life. So help Indeed. promote it. Yes. As our theme music suggests, uh, don't be afraid to live the good life. And and part of that is having great conversations. So, yeah, thank you, Deacon. And thank you to all our listeners. Uh, share the program. Rate us on your favorite podcast player of choice. That's poorly said. Uh, I'm going to have the courage to say that again and not edit it out. Wow, that is courageous. So you'll know if I do this or not, but... I will. No one else. Um, <laughs> uh Rate and comment uh, this podcast on your favorite podcast player. Nice. That that will help us a lot, but that will also help us to to spread this conversation even to people who are hungry for it outside of the JPG community. That's right, because we're courageous enough to be for everyone. Indeed, to be Catholic. To be Catholic. Live the good life next time on La Bon Vie. Good life.